This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. Uh, people often ask me, you know, what do I get out of university and doing a psych degree? And I say a very expensive lesson in what not to do with human beings. The world is full of amazing people. And once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. Today's Awesome Human is Clinton Schultz, a man who continuously strives to better the world one day at a time. Clinton is currently one of only 20 male practicing Aboriginal psychologists in Australia. In 2010, he opened his own consultancy company focusing on holistic Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander approach to mental health, focusing on emotional, social and cultural well-being through therapy. Clinton, alongside his wife Lozen, in 2017 founded Sober, Australia's first non-alcoholic craft beer company. How this all happened is probably the question our listeners are interested in, but more importantly, not importantly, but better off, He's actually a ninja warrior, which I'm very excited. And even more exciting, it's actually his birthday tomorrow. So I would normally sing, but you don't want to hear that. Trust me. Welcome, Clinton. Thank you. How Thank are you, you, mate? Very good. Thanks for having us. No worries at all. I didn't mention that in 2018, he was also named Griffith University's Outstanding First Peoples Alumni Award. What an amazing bloke, eh? Yeah, thank you. Was that a good moment? Uh, it was uh, pretty humbling. Yeah? Yeah. Isn't it funny, like when you when you sort of get given awards for whatever it is, you think, really, why me? Yeah, it's definitely you not. Find that it's definitely not something that I'm uh, necessarily into. But I spend a lot of time working with youth, where I'm like encouraging them to accept acknowledgement and accolade for yep. for the achievements that uh, are put forward for them. And uh, so it's kind of been a couple of those moments over the last few years where I've got to practice what I preach and suck it up and get up there and. Well, it's interesting because we do a lot of stuff with uh, with the Indigenous culture and one of the things I've learned is that you don't like to receive. You like to give, you like to help, you like to do, 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 but no one likes to receive. What's that? Why is that? I guess we come from a collective-based culture. So okay. it's more about uh, the well-being of everybody and, and understanding the importance of connections and the interdependence that we all rely on with each other. So I guess there's always an awareness that nobody achieves anything on their own so yeah. when you're kind of up there getting an award by yourself you kind of you know you're in front of that community you're in front of that collective where it's so it wasn't of, just me it was all of us no nah, they're the ones that have helped you to actually be able to stand up there and get that so i guess that's why it's difficult for many aboriginal peoples to get up there and, and receive rewards is um because it, it, it's quite a foreign concept because we okay. are a collective based people and is that because that's the way you've been brought up do you yeah, think? It's, it's just part of the part culture. Part of the culture? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of the big differences between, I guess, Australian society in general and Aboriginal societies is just the plain, cold, hard difference between individualism and collectivism. I love it. And collectivism is so much better. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. Mate, this podcast is all about you, right? And I know that uh, a lot of people don't like sort of telling their story or know about them, but when we first had this conversation, I said they had the topics yourself and you said, well, excellent, I can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the first question I always ask people is, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? I actually don't have many memories from when I was a child. Okay. Um, you know, I didn't have... Is that them. on purpose? Yeah, I didn't have the most positive um 
childhood, so I think I've erased a lot of things. Okay. And so I, I tend to not uh, be able to remember anything really sort of probably before I'm in a, I don't know, maybe grade five or six, I reckon. Wow. Um, I just have absolutely no memory. I see photos every now and then pop up and people will tell me things from when I was a childhood, but I absolutely just have no recollection of it. And is that because it was a bad childhood? Uh, I don't know if it's all because of that. I'm sure there is things that I've wanted to wipe. Yeah. Know, there was a lot of pain when I was a kid. Um, but, you know, I, I literally just handed in a PhD. So I think that sort of turned my brain into mush as well. So <laughs> There's not much left. Yeah, everything else just sort of went out out one year. And What did you do your PhD in? Uh, so my PhD is a Aboriginal law-based perspective of Aboriginal health workforces well-being. Wow. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, so you know, we as a workforce, we we've got some of the highest burnout rates and some of the highest turnover rates of any workforce in Australia, and it's always only ever sort of been looked at from a, I guess a, a Western perspective, a biopsychosocial point of view perspective. Yeah, yeah, a lot of burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma type stuff that people will talk about, but nobody's ever really looked at at it from a, I guess a, a law and cultural based perspective. So. You know, as Aboriginal peoples, we've always worked our asses off, you know. There yeah. was, there's no such thing as days off. There's no such thing as sick days. Yeah. You got up in the morning, you worked until you went to bed. Otherwise, people didn't eat and people didn't live. So, I don't know. I think we've s- slipped into this mentality, this Western mentality of um, an entitlement at times rather than going, well, that's actually not our ways. We're peoples who... Uh, are fortunate enough to receive and, and have the ability to give back. And I think it, the more we get back to practising and working from those ways, the less we'll be worried about, I guess, the stresses of work. And do you think that comes down a lot to from the Western way, as you say, but people sit there going, they're lazy, they don't do anything. And when someone sits there and tells you all this negative stuff all the time, you end up doing it or being it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in psych, they'll call it self-fulfilling prophecy. It's one of the first things you get taught when you do a psych degree. And yeah. uh, you definitely see it put upon many different peoples in Australia, not just Aboriginal peoples, yeah. you know, a whole bunch of different minority groups just get this constant negative rhetoric thrown at it's them. It's an Australian thing. It's the tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No one can succeed. Oh, actually, that was easy for them. Yeah, absolutely. That was the, and it's like, no, I worked my ass off to get where I am. It yeah, was, yeah. It's not something that uh, was given to me. Absolutely. So when you, you know, when that's a daily attack, yeah. um, it can get you down. Oh, 100%. It can be, it can be hard to, to deal with, but, uh, I, 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 you know, for me, the trick has been, and it's taken me a long time, it probably took me 35 years to figure it out, was to just let that shit be, you know. It's yeah. not, that's not mine. Swallowing it makes me sick, so leaving it out there is somebody else's business. You know, my business is just to get on being the best version of me that I can be each and every day so I can be the best for for my family and for my community and, and those that I work with. So, Well, hallelujah. That, that's so true. Right? And the fact, I, I love the, the philosophy that what other people think of you is their fault, not is, is their problem, not yours. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I had this uncle take me out bush, like, long time ago now when I was in a pretty bad way and, you know, I was struggling with some issues of, of lateral violence. So, you know, lateral violence is pretty rife. What's lateral violence? So lateral violence is sort of that um, in-group violence. So that, you know, for us, it's like that black-on-black type violence. Okay. It, it's driven by experiences of oppression. So, you know, when oppressed groups are feeling so overwhelmed, they tend to turn on each other Okay. and take that sort of uh, frustration out on each other. And, and, you know, there's a lot of it happens in our communities and there's, you know, a lot of ongoing oppression that occurs. So it's, yeah. you know, it's no surprise that the lateral violence is there, but it really does get it down. You know, I, I, th- I think as Aboriginal peoples, we've learnt to 
to put up with all the white shit pretty good, yeah. to be honest. But when our own start attacking, yeah, it becomes overwhelming. It's and is that physically attacking, mentally nah, attacking? Yeah, yeah, just the the psychological stuff, yeah. you know, the, the emotional stuff. Um, you know, tall poppy is, is something that you'll constantly hear people talking about or crab in a bucket and stuff yeah. like that, you know? It's that, it's that mentality that is far more damaging than any of the physical stuff. And do you um, think, since you don't have a psychology degree, you learnt more about that? Like, do, do you think that's turned that on or uh, made it actually, or amplified it? Nah, man, my, uh, people often ask me, you know, what do I get out of university and doing a psych degree? And I say a very expensive lesson in what not to do with human beings. <laughs> so true. So, yeah. <laughs> it's so you know, true, um, isn't it? Yeah. So, so let, let's go back to sort of the early days, as far back as you can go. Where were you born? Uh, Redcliffe Hospital. Okay. So a hospital built on stolen wages money. <laughs> Funny enough, yeah. So Redcliffe, does that does that make you part of, is that, um, I'm going to try and say it again, G- Gilamari? Nah, it's not Gamilaroi country, so. Okay. Um, so, so how do you become so my Gamilaroi country? How so, does my that work? Com- so my ancestors and my bloodlines all go back to Gamilaroi country, which is northwest New South Wales. So um, At least you're a New South Welshman, that's fine. I'll still go for Queensland. <laughs> Um, yeah, sort of around Tamworth, Gunnedah areas where okay. my mob originally come from. But my family's mostly lived here on on Yugambeh country, you know, for since the end of the 1800s. Okay. Um, I've had family here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was born up in Redcliffe Hospital, and and we lived up there till I was about five, um, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, then I was sort of between Brisbane and out past Ipswich at a place called Hattonvale, and um, since about 15, I've been, or oh, 16, I've been sort of permanently down here on the Gold Coast. So where'd you go to school? I uh, went to Eagle Junction Primary School. Um, and do you remember that? I remember being there. I don't remember anything of it, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, I, yeah, I remember sp- a couple of sports days and that's about yeah. it. Um, you know, I lost my nan when I was in grade. Like the closest person in the world to me was my nan. And I lost her when um, to lung cancer when I was... In the beginning of grade six, I think it was, and um, so was that about twelve years old. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, very devastating as a kid. Upon other stuff that had happened before that, that was just another sort of nail in the coffin that made me want to wipe everything memories from from that previous sort of part of my life. So I really don't remember much of it, but um, I remember that it sucked, and I remember that I couldn't go to the funeral, and that sucked even more. And um, what do you remember about your nan? Oh, she was just an amazing person. You know, she just she was there for us all the time, um, mm. despite all the stuff that was sort of happening. She was the f- constant. Yeah, the stuff that was mm. happening in our family. Like, my parents split up when I was young, and um, so I was back and forth a bit. And But my nan was always there. Yeah. And, um, every holidays, every most weekends, we'd, we'd be out at her place. She had a little farm out at Hattonvale. It's all, I was, you know, I drive past it now, it's all housing out there, like yeah, housing estates now. It? Yeah. it was all just, like, bush back then. And me and my cousins used to just disappear for days on end out yeah. in the bush and... Um, it was great. Yeah. So yeah, she she was that constant person, and um, you know what I probably the the most important thing I probably got from that relationship, um, you know, that's helped me through my life is has actually been that I've never touched a cigarette in my life, and people because of lung cancer. Yeah, you know, okay. I've I've done a lot of shit in my time. Yeah. Um, but I've never touched a cigarette, and that's because I had to watch my nan die from lung cancer, and yeah. so it just put me off. So. I guess I'm I'm forever grateful for that. Yep. As well as the you know the love and support that she gave me when I was a kid. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that, um, 
I can thank her for because I, I you know, I was pretty much the only person in all the circles that I hung out with. That when didn't I was, smoke. That didn't smoke. Wow. It's, it's really interesting that we learn these lessons at such a young age that stick with you for life. Yeah. And there are people, like my grandmother was the same, that, that, that have such an influence on you that at the time, yet you're devastated, but even like 28 years later, you're still thankful and also sad at the same time. Yeah, and absolutely. It's like people say, well, I lost my dad when he was 58 and... Um, that was that was 15 years ago, and everyone says, "Oh, it gets better with time." Fuck that! It doesn't. Yeah. No way in the world. But yeah. at the same time, is yeah, you got other things that happen to you, but you always yeah. have those amazing memories of back in the day, and then also mm. that shit day when it actually happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's uh, it's a good thing and a horrible thing. Yeah, at, at the same time. So where did you go to high school? So I did a couple of years of high school at Wavell State High mm-hmm. in Brizzy. Uh, me and high school didn't get along so well. Okay. So I actually left high school when I was 15. So um, what, in the high school, do you say you didn't get on? Were you bullied? No, nah, no, nah, me and the system didn't get you on. You and the system, uh, yeah. No one, no one bullied me. I was, uh, <laughs> you know, one thing of growing up in a... Um, in a household, I guess, where there was a, a lot of abuse, was, I was pretty thick-skinned. Yeah, um, okay. So I didn't have to worry about being bullied, but... Um, you just yeah, didn't get on with the system. In the system, I don't know. I found it, I found it fucking boring to be honest. Yep. Um, I was quite intelligent. Like I, my teachers hated me because I'd do no work and I'd constantly, <laughs> <still pass>. yeah, <laughs> oh, I'd constantly get really good marks. Like it was always highs or very highs, and I yeah, did yeah. nothing. So they just constantly accused me of cheating. Yeah. And um, so yeah, and I was, you know, we came from, we were really poor when when I was a kid, and so you know I couldn't afford the school socks or yeah. I couldn't afford the school jumper, and so I'd be wearing whatever I had and constantly getting hassled for shit like that and yeah. i was just like well that's not what i'm here for i'm not here to argue with me about what fucking socks i'm wearing yeah, you're yeah. supposed to be teaching me yeah, yeah so i was spending more time in my office i was spending more of my time at the office than i was in the classroom for not even doing anything yeah. wrong just because i wasn't wearing the right fucking socks mm. or i was wearing an earring or it's fucking... still the same though this is the bit like ah, that was what, 25 years ago yeah. and it's still the same shit in this education system absolutely so i left school i left there end of grade 10 i just went fuck this had enough um and my mum was trying to finish her phd at the time and i had younger brothers and i had younger sister at the time and i've got more younger sisters and brother now um but i knew that my sister was only like nine months old or something at that time. And, and I didn't want to go into daycare and having somebody else fucking raising her all day. Yeah. Um, and I wanted my mum to be able to go to uni. So I just straight up said to mum, I'm, I'm not going to school. I'm staying home looking after my sister. And she said, like, fuck you are. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a bit of to and from. And, um, you know, it ended up that uh, we agreed that I'd, I'd do homeschooling and I could stay home, look after my sister. And I was doing a chef apprenticeship at night. Wow. So, so you're a busy boy. Yeah, yeah. So So uh, what was mum doing a PhD in? Uh, so mum's PhD, she's a medical anthropologist by, I guess, trade or profession. So yeah. um, she was looking at um, certain, certain women's diseases amongst okay. Aboriginal populations. And um, yeah, most of her work these days is uh, in the aged care sort of space. So, okay. Yeah. So you're at 15 years old, you've left school. Yep. You're looking after a nine-month-old yep. doing a chef's apprenticeship at night. And homeschool, yeah. So I did that for a, I did that for a year, and then went. Oh. Have you ever looked at it like that? <laughs> yeah, I was busy, but it was probably it was probably good for you. It was good that I was busy because otherwise, you know, I probably would have ended up in I don't know juvie or something. Oh, okay, yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair um, enough. So staying busy, sort of. How long did you do that for? Did you finish school? Uh, no, I uh, ended up flagging the homeschooling stuff. I tried to go back to school for a little bit. It didn't work. 
Um, and so I just focused on the chef apprenticeship. So okay. I was qualified by the time I was 19. Yep. Um, I'd moved down here to the coast and, and I, you know, I was, I was enjoying my time as a, as a young apprentice. I wasn't enjoying being paid a hundred and I think I got $148 <laughs> including my weekend penalty rates. Wow. So it was, that was pretty shit, but, yeah. uh, but I, I was loving Gold Coast life and, um, got through the apprenticeship and, and continued to work for as a chef for quite a few years. Uh, when did you enjoy that? I did. Uh, I, I love cooking. I hate yeah. chefing. Okay. That yep. makes sense. So I, I love food. I love cooking. Uh, but the the back then, the I guess the, the respect that was afforded to chefs was mm. next to nothing here in Australia. So, you know, it was before the big celebrity chef sort yeah, of craze yeah. came through and before My Kitchen Rules and all these other shows were up and, you know, chefing was this fad, cool thing. Um, back then, you know, you 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 were treated um basically you were treated like shit so it was kind of people looked at chefing it's as if it you're was the help mate. well yeah you were looked at <laughs> it as it? Like, like that's why it was looked at it was looked at as a profession that people went into if they couldn't do anything else mm-hmm. rather than people were choosing to do it mm. and i really felt that and um so i hated the trade um but i always loved the cooking i went overseas and it allowed me to travel overseas like i traveled europe for over two years yeah as a chef and had a had an awesome time doing that and so, you know... What sort of chef were you? Did uh, you just specialise? I did a lot of different stuff. So, I started in a um, sort of gourmet Chinese restaurant, funnily enough. Okay. And then I was in a seafood restaurant here on the coast. Uh, I'd done some time in an Italian restaurant. Then I was in a in a um, hatted restaurant over in uh, England working as a chef for a while. And, yeah, so I've worked in a lot of different spaces. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as a as a nineteen year old kid, you you're now a qualified chef. You think, okay, cool, I can travel the world. I can yep. do lots of different stuff now. Um, didn't finish school, so so you you sort of go and do all your trips and your travels and all that sort of stuff. When did you decide actually I probably should finish school because I want to go to university? Uh, now, was that in your head ever before that? No, I'd started just before I'd come home uh, from England. I'd you know I was really missing home and. I'd started to write up these programs to hopefully come back and hit big mob up, um, big corporate mob up for funding to help me go and support kids in communities, so low socioeconomic communities, to just fucking do whatever they were good at. Because when I was growing up, if if you were an Aboriginal kid or if you were a low socioeconomic kid, so if you came from Housing Commission or any of them type areas... Unless you're good at football, you're fucking nothing. You had no chance. You got no support for nothing and you got treated like shit. And I I grew, I lived that, so I knew it. And um, I knew there was a whole bunch of kids that were going through that same shit and I knew I'd be able to help them. So I started writing up these programs and and, and sort of flicking it out to different corporates and and I was getting some bites and they were saying, oh, this is great, but what's your fucking qualifications? Yeah. And I'd go, well, mate, I'm a chef. And they'd just be like, well, what the fuck has that got to do How with these programs, yeah, yeah, 100%. Right? I said, well, I was one of these kids, you know, I made it. I've made a go for myself and I know I can support them. And they said, well, go get a piece of paper saying you're qualified to do it. So that's what I did. I started looking up, okay, what can I do at uni that might give me some kind of uh, background in being able to support these kids? kids. And yeah, that's kind of how I fell into psychology so i went i got into university both because i had my trade and and so through my certs that i had from that uh but also on the um through the gamari center here at griffith university so oh, as an okay. aboriginal student so yeah yeah and then so that's how psychology come about 
That's how sight came about. And so it was just to get a bit of paper so you could actually do what you're already good at <laughs> to help the kids that... It's fucked up, really. Isn't Apparently, it? you need pieces of paper to help humans these days. So isn't it insane. Yeah, it, it's and the thing is, there's what? How many years? Three? You would have done? Nah, four. Nah, I did. Uh, so the undergrad was um, four years. Then I did an honours year. Then I had to do two years internship. <laughs> um, so you know, there's seven so years. So seven there years. So you could have actually been helping get, kids for seven just years just to get registered. Wow. And then. You know, and, and as I said, I've literally just handed in my PhD, so I've kind of been in that system now for fuck for too long. Wow, fifteen, I don't know, more than fifteen years. So, so during this whole period, like traveling overseas and then coming back and deciding to go to uni, do you're a single man at the time? Uh, no, I'd had a couple of long-term relationships in okay. that time, and um, you know, to be honest, I fucked up in those. Yeah, um, I was at that stage of my life, I was pretty damn selfish mm-hmm. um, and, and didn't really have much regard for the, I guess, the emotional pain that I may have been causing the, the girls I was with at the time yeah. with, you know, just acting the way that I was acting. You know, I didn't necessarily see that I was doing anything wrong. I just thought I was being a typical Gold Coast dickhead, Blight. you know. Mm. Um, but I reflect back on it now and I go, I was a, I was a fucking asshole. And have you ever reached back out to them and, and had that conversation? Oh, it's funny, you know... Um, uh, one of the girls that I was with for a while, um, her twin sister is actually my wife's best friend. Um, our, our first—that's ki- a bit awkward. Well, our, our first, our first kids were born a couple of days apart. Oh wow! And um, yeah, so you know, so I've maintained contact with her over the years, and and yeah, I'm open about it. I was a dickhead, and um, so a lot of the others have chose not to not to acknowledge my existence, and that's okay. You know, I'd I'd probably do the same. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, when did we meet your lovely wife, who I met the other week? Uh, so, I met her at university. Okay. So, we were both doing, we were both taking Spanish for very different reasons. Uh, Lozen was taking Spanish because uh, our niece and nephew, um, their dad is um, Peruvian. So, okay. she wanted to be able to speak Spanish with them. Yep. And uh, I was doing Spanish because I wanted to run away to Mexico and run amok, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the truth. I was like, fuck, I need to get out of here hey, again. I can what can see I, if I speak Spanish, I... it opens up this part of the world I can go Yeah, there. yeah. I'd, I'd done Europe and I was like, fuck it, I'm going, I'm going to go South America. Um, I love it. So, yeah, we, we hooked up in Spanish class and um, been together ever since. So, we don't, we so don't how get... long ago was that? Uh, it's... 12 years wow yeah yeah so we um you know we fell pregnant with our first child pretty damn quick yeah and um yeah it's been awesome you know it's probably that's it's changed my life so i'm i'm literally not a dickhead anymore because of her and my kids so it's amazing isn't it (laughs) isn't it amazing when you have a child like i got four kids and that first child comes out, and mate, I was—I I had a lot of fun when I was a kid and all that sort of stuff. And then now, oh shit, I'm actually responsible for yeah, a human, yeah. and it's not just me anymore, not just me and the wife anymore. It's all—it's like with this baby, yeah. And the love that you give that thing at the time, it just it literally click changes everything, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. It, to be honest, it probably took till my second kid till really, I till really till I really woke up to myself. You know, yeah. I was. I was I was still pretty loose yeah. you know, up until we had my second kid and then I started to really go, fuck, you know, this, if I keep going at this rate, I'll be dead before either of them are bloody and 10 it, years old. Yeah. Um, so, 
yeah, we, you know, it, it took me two kids, so maybe I'm a bit slower and stupid than the average. Oh no, bloke, I'm saying you fall in love with them. Yeah, I didn't stopped. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those one of those things. So did you did you end up marrying your uh, wife? Yeah, yeah, we got married. Um, so it was our ten year anniversary back in February this year. Well, congratulations! Thank Mate, you. Ten years. That's a that's a great accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. And did you do the whole get down on one knee thing, or uh, how the uh, proposal happen? So we. Went to a like a B and B out the back of the the hinterland here, and um, we were just out there for a couple of days, and and yeah, I was shitting myself to be honest. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of times. Did she know? I think or she was had a, bit a, of a surprise. Yeah, I they th- always know. Yeah, I think they she know knew. everything. I think she knew, <laughs> but I think like there was a couple of times during that couple of days we were out there where I could have proposed and I hadn't. Okay. And it was and there were times I was actually planning to, but I just fucking <laughs> shat myself. And I was like, fuck, what am I doing? And um so it pretty much took to like nearly the end of the, the end little of the trip. Time. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah. And uh, did you get out one night? No, we were at dinner. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was at a table, so it's pretty oh, much like this. So. Oh. Knees, knees were under the table. <laughs> Shaking. <laughs> yeah. And did she say yes straight away? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Makes you feel a bit better yeah. then, doesn't she it? Was, she, was, she was already knocked up. It was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a certainty. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. I love it. So you've now got a psychology degree. Yep. You're married. You've got a kid on the way. And you're still pretty loose, as you, as you say. Yep. Are you... Um, Sort of sitting there thinking, actually, I can still go and help these kids now. And and what what was sort of did you lose focus during the psychology degree because it took so long about what your original plan was? Uh, not so much lose focus, lost faith, uh, <laughs> lost yeah, lost faith in in systems, yeah. health health systems, um, particularly the mental health system. Yeah. Um, so that that was a struggle. And, you know, there's been multiple times over the years where I've just gone, fuck, I just want to burn this piece of paper. Mm. Uh, but it allows me to get insurance, so I keep it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was that was the most difficult part was I knew what I wanted to do, but I knew that the piece of paper that I had wouldn't necessarily support the work the way I wanted to do it. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. more about... I'm far more about and far more interested in cultural and spiritual healing and uh, than I am um, mental health and mental illness. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, psychology is a very westernised practice and it doesn't uh, doesn't really allow different perspectives in, which is which is interesting because I think they've forgotten that the whole basis of the field itself was, you know, heavily structured off of different indigenous ideals from around the world oh really yeah so you know even if you look at something like maslow's um pyramid it's um it's actually a native american philosophy um that they literally flipped on its head um and and stole and and you know turned into something of their own i I love they yeah there's always they isn't there yeah no one knows who they are <laughs> but there's they yeah psych as a field is the they um wow there's some great people working in the field but the profession itself i think is uh is really outdated and um unfortunately there's i guess there's a lot of uh ego and power involved in it um because there's two types of psychologists isn't it? there's clinical and then there's the other one. Oh, there's heaps more than that even oh, you is know? There? like um so I guess, you know, m- my work is probably more these days in the space of, I guess, organisational psychology than it okay. would be 
clinical. So yeah. you know, I'm, I'm my interest in terms of that work that I do is is in looking after our workforce now mm-hmm. and making sure that they can be on the ground doing the work that they do to help other people. Um, so I guess that sort of falls into that space of of org psych. Um, so is that your passion in that space? Obviously, you do multiple things at the yeah, moment, which we'll go into in a sec. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I you know, I, I understand that I'm only one person, and and it's no good me flying in and flying out of communities all the time. Mm-hmm. Going, oh yeah, I can be here for a day, and I don't know when the fuck I'll be back. Yeah, you know, I've always believed that it's far more beneficial to do whatever we can to help those that are in community to stay strong and deadly to help their own communities. So if I can fly into communities and just help do um, whatever it may be, professional development, resilience work, lateral violence training, whatever it may be with the workforce and help them to just get on with their daily work, then I think that amplifies the impact that I'm able to have rather than thinking that I can just go in and see a couple of clients here and there and then fly out of the community and, yeah. But that all comes back to that whole community thing, doesn't it? Is is the fact you don't fly in, fly out. It's all about staying together and being one and not just individualization yeah absolutely and um unfortunately you know most our most of the service that gets provided to aboriginal peoples in rural and remote areas is drive in drive out or fly in fly out yeah um and so it's it's very hard for trusting relationships to be built so um you know a lot of the time the the health service that is provided becomes far less beneficial than it could be because you can't have those basic building blocks of trust and rapport when you're only fucking there one day a yeah. month or whatever it may be. So, yeah. So during this whole time, we've got our psychology degree, which we're not that impressed with ourselves about, and we're, we're not being able to help the kids like we wanted to originally. Do you get to a point where you think, oh, just fuck it, I'll go back to cook it <laughs> during that process? Because you've got it, you've got to, at times, shit beats you up, right? And you, you, yeah, you know this more than better than a lot of us, right? Is that, do you get to a point where you think, actually, I can't make a change? Absolutely. I've been at that point many times. Yeah. But instead of just throwing one thing out the window, I tend to just fucking add stuff. So, <laughs> I was lecturing at the uni, running my consultancy business, and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to get a food truck as well. Yeah. So because that did just to make it busier. Yeah. So me and Lowe's bought a food truck, and we were doing. We wanted to really promote, uh, I guess the, the health benefits uh, and the wonderful flavours of of native produce here in Australia that mm-hmm. most people are just completely oblivious to. Or you see some, you know, celebrity chef using as a sprinkle garnish on their fucking fancy ass yeah. dish, and and nobody else can ever taste it because it's too expensive. Um. So we wanted to sort of shift that. So we went and bought a, a food truck and, and we were pumping out all sort of native inspired and um, Aboriginal foods out, mm. of, out of that. And How'd that go? Yeah, it went really well, but it was, you know, it was fucking labor intensive. And um, <laughs> with all the other shit that I had going on, it was, yeah, I was literally cooked. So yeah, yeah. Um, we, 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 we did it to try and time up with the Commonwealth Games, thinking that there'd be all these people from overseas here, it'd be a wonderful opportunity to to promote our native produce um, to the world. The Com Games was a fucking flop for every business here Mm. on the coast. So, yeah, it was a very, very expensive exercise for us. Um, And we also found it really hard to 
tourists love us tourists would come and they'd love the food and they'd be willing to try anything we'd had yeah fucking locals are so close-minded at times yeah, like literally true. i'd get abused by people for selling things like emu and kangaroo and crocodile and stuff and in front of their kids you know i had this woman once who in front of her kids um pointed her finger at me while i was in the food truck going you're disgusting i can't believe you sell native animals <laughs> in front of her fucking impressionable young kids and i was just like really like and she's carrying around like she had a fucking nachos in one hand and a burger in the other and i said yeah. what the fuck's in that yeah oh yeah. this one's only lamb and beef so, so it doesn't yeah, really count yeah, yeah. Whereas emu is probably the best meat you could eat anywhere in the Most world. Most healthy meat on the planet. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, the amount of times that I heard, you can't eat our national emblems, and I was like, <laughs> they ain't my fucking emblems. <laughs> so, yeah, I found we found um, locals just weren't willing to really open themselves up and try something different. Um, tourists were, and so that's why we we're like, well, hopefully there'll be all these tourists here at Com Games. Mm, they weren't. Oh, there no, was. Well, they were. They were all put through... You know, literally like through gates, cattle, like animals. cattle fucking yeah. gates and, and couldn't get out to, to do anything. And so, yeah, that was a bit of a letdown. And um, at the same time, we'd started sober just to add something else on top of. Yeah, because we we're, we're, so. we're not doing enough now. Hey, love, let's, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start a brewery. Yeah, well, I stopped drinking like six years ago. and um, On purpose? Yeah, yeah, my kids came to me one day and I'd got really loose with my cousin um, on homemade rum on Christmas Eve. That's never a good thing in the same sentence. It was Homemade rum, rum yeah. I'm talking about. I, my sister, I mean, my cousin, she, she's really loose. And, yeah. um, so these were like three quarters of glasses of rum with like a dash of Coke Oof. on top. And um, I'd, only, I'd only drank three of them, but, but that was probably a whole bottle. And I was that blind... That I, um, somebody was talking about zombies or something. So I was pretending to be a zombie. So I'm walking around pretending to be a zombie. And I literally scared the shit out of my kids. Yeah. And it was Christmas Eve. And then they're freaking out because they couldn't sleep because they were so scared that I was, because I'd been walking around the house like a they zombie. They were actually a zombie. They thought Santa wasn't coming because they couldn't get to sleep. Oh, wow. And they couldn't sleep because they thought fucking zombies were coming around the house. So, and my, my boy just turned to me and he just said, Dad, can you stop drinking silly drink? Because apparently I was just silly all the time when mm. I drink. And I just looked at him and said, yeah, I can, mate. And I haven't. How old? Um, he was four, maybe five mm. at the time. And yeah, I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since. So, Congratulations. Yeah. So, you know, it was just a matter tough of Tough thing going, to do. No, I didn't find it tough. You know, really? they're, they're more important to me. You know? Yeah, 100%. Alcohol's alcohol and, and, and whatever. And, and, you know, to be honest, it's it's not a part of my fucking culture. And I couldn't claim myself as being a Gamilaroi man as long as I was... On the piss. Fair call. Um, so, you know, if mate, I wanted... Big up to you, mate. Seriously, that, that's huge. It, and now, obviously, with uh, opening sober, yep. how did that start? So, I'd started making stuff. I'd started making different non-alcoholic beer for myself when I'd stopped drinking because I love the flavour of beer. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I shouldn't have to give up a flavour and a, to a style of drink just because I don't want alcohol. And does that come back to your love of cooking? Yeah, in part, but and also the, and the taste and the food, and more, stuff, stuff. probably more so that it, the couple of years I'd spent in Europe and, okay. and non-alcoholic beer is fucking normal over there. Yeah, yeah. You know, kids drink it from when they're yeah. young. It's just normal. Um, and so, you know, I was used to having non-alcoholic beers over there, mm -hmm. all different places in Europe. And, and so I knew they could be decent, but here in Australia, they were fucking horrendous. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to 
Export Light was the one with all kids. I was. She'll be right, mate. Export Light, mate. Drink it or not, mate. <laughs> it was yeah, like non-alcoholic or zero point zero zero one percent and stuff. You can drink this and drive, and that that was years and years ago, and that would taste like horse piss. Yeah, and some of you know some of those ones that have been around for ages, they really did give non-alcoholic beer a bad name in Australia. Yeah, definitely. And um, and Australia's got a fucking bad drinking problem. Yeah, as a nation, a mm-hmm. really bad drinking problem, which it doesn't like to. To, to own up to, you know, the amount of times that we'll be talking about sober and people will turn to me and go, oh, that's great. I hope you get it out into all those Aboriginal communities. And I'm like, what about all the fucking white communities? <laughs> that's where most of the alcoholics are. Definitely. Not in, not in my communities. Yeah, yeah. So it's so funny. what started it? How did, how did we, we come home to Laws and we go, hey, honey, I'm going to do something else? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and she's like, she's basically just... Does like, she just shake her head like my wife does? Okay, then. Just because you're, you're a fucking idiot. That's <laughs> the amount of times I've been told you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. But um, no, she's the most supportive person on the planet. And, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, she gives it to me, but... Uh, but you need that. Keeps me grounded. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, she just, I think, she, you know, she's told me a few times that it's probably just all this stuff that I keep doing, it's a, it's a, a positive way of managing my ADHD, she says. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm exactly the same. I'm here. Know, as long as I'm doing a million things, then <laughs> I think I'm quite well controlled. Um, but yeah, I, I started uh, mixing different flavors with so different native fruits and, and, and stuff, infusing them into uh, non-alcoholic beers we could already buy just to see what they'd sort of map up like and then we found a few and then I started sort of home brewing a few different ones and um, looking at that and you know I'd grown up from when I was little with my granddad home brewing yeah so it was it wasn't a tricky task um and then we and it also worked out good because we wanted something unique as a drink to sell in the food truck to match the aboriginal food that we were doing okay so it all was part of the same thing yeah. in the beginning but sober sort of outgrew the food truck and um so we had a lot of people coming to the food truck when we were selling it out of there saying, can we get takeaways? And I was just like, not at the moment. And then we literally had people... <laughs> There's only 11 cans. <laughs> it was only on tap. I yeah, had it on tap in a keg uh-huh. in the food truck. And, and we literally had people turning up with their own growlers to really? get non-alcoholic beer. And was like, fuck, maybe there's something into this. Yeah, yeah. So we thought, fuck it. We ran a possible campaign to see if we could raise just enough money to try and get it in cans. And were you calling it sober at the time? What was yeah, it called yeah. at the time? So so it's I'd, always been that? Yep. So that's that's a conversation that started uh, one of my best mates. He he unfortunately got locked up for quite a few years. Um, and there's conversations that I was having with him while he was in jail. And, and I said, mate, I'm going to start this non-alcoholic beer company. I'm going to call it sober. And he sort of just laughed. And then over time he goes, mate, that's a really fucking good idea. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it was always called sober. And um, and then the catch S O B A H. Yeah. So that's uh, that you know that suffix B A H or the sound, obviously not the English letters, but yeah. the, the sound bar. In many of the Eastern Seaboard language groups, you know, it means place of. So it was kind of a play on words. Okay. Like this is a place of sobriety. You know. Yeah. Um. And then the catchphrase for it was always the truly social drink because, you know, I really got frustrated with every single social event that would occur, alcohol alcohol had to be present. Yeah, yeah. And people going, oh, I'm just a social drinker. That's fucking bullshit. You're drinking because you don't feel comfortable to engage with other human beings (laughs) without alcohol. It's so true. For what it is. The loosener. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And so that's when I started saying, well, this is the truly social drink. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can drink this without getting intoxicated and still 
enjoy time with my mates or watching the footy or going having a bet, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that was a real driver to do it as well. When I stopped drinking, you know, I found it impossible to go to a venue and get an adult non-alcoholic drink. Fucking did my head in. The Ooh. amount of times I got told, oh, we've got ginger beer. And I was like, well, yeah, there's enough sugar in there to give me diabetes. Yeah, after yeah two. of course. And, um, or you can have, you know, soft drink. And I'm like, well, not, I'm not a kid. Yeah. I want to, I'm an adult. I like yeah. sophisticated flavors. I just don't want your fucking alcohol. Mm. And that's still a challenge, particularly here on the Gold Coast. Um, so did you find whilst you were doing this, obviously it's starting to get the undercurrent. You did your campaign online to raise some funds. Yep. Then what that enabled you to then go a bit sort of bigger? Yeah, yeah. So started we started canning it. Yeah, so we got it into cans. Um, unfortunately at that time, you know, it's been a long and it's an ongoing learning process. It was a live product, so... Um, it had to be kept chilled all the time. Okay. And we quickly found out... When you out, say a live product, what's that mean? So it had live... Um, the yeast was still live. In oh, it, yeah. okay. So it had to be kept chilled and we quickly found out that, you know, chilled storage and chilled... Started to cost you a lot of money now. It was expensive, but you also couldn't trust people to be doing what you're paying them to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'd pay for chilled transport or chilled storage. Next minute you'd see photos or hear of, you know a pallet of it sitting out in the sun and you'd be like fuck um i was just waiting on the dock till they pick it up (laughs) so yeah we were having a lot of problems with spoilage because it wasn't being kept cold which was making the already expensive process of even more cold storage and shipping even more so yeah so then we had to do a whole bunch of work around how do we get this dry shelf stable and that's where it's at now so now we can get it out to anywhere in the country um without having to worry about it blowing up like little grenades left, right and centre. <laughs> so you've got three flavours that I've got in this brochure in front of me. Lemon Aspen Pilsner, yep. Finger Lime Cerveza and Pepperberry IPA. Is there one that sort of runs off the shelf compared to the other? No, it, it's very much uh, location-based. So, oh, is it? Yeah, is that because like a lot of people like Pilsner, all they like an IPA or like absolutely. that sort of thing? So, is that the way it works? Yeah. So, you know, in, in the more fucking hipster-based areas, um, people <laughs> tend to go for an IPA just because it says IPA on it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you, we get a lot IPA's of people... not real beer there. Anyway, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, so, yeah, we get a lot of people in, um, I guess... Uh, more of the city areas that will go for the IPA or the pills. Yeah. Along the coastline, uh, a lot of people obviously are used to drinking things like, you know, um, Coronas and, and that style so of beer. The lager so, type beer. So the cerveza is quite a uh, normal flavour okay. uh, for them or the most recognisable flavour. So that's, yep. yeah, so it's really been locational based. And then the lemon aspen pills now, because it's, you know, a pills is quite a light style, not so bitter yeah. beer. A lot of people who don't necessarily appreciate bit of beers yeah. tend to go for the for the pills so but that that to me sounds like you're sitting out the back in the sun on a on a sunday afternoon watching the kids in the pools drinking like a nice little lemon aspen pilsner yeah you know people often ask me oh what's your favorite and i go i don't fucking have a favorite it depends, <laughs> like what, I'm, it depends what i'm doing you yeah. know like, um the pills is yeah if i'm sitting around just relaxing or yeah. it goes really well with chicken and fish so if, and i mostly eat chicken and fish so oh, there I, you go. I drink it a lot of the time with dinner yep um the cerveza is my i've just finished mowing the lawn and i'm sweating my ass off yeah. beer and i need a beer I'm the, yeah i just <laughs> yeah, want that know, refreshing that, yeah yeah <laughs> the flavor cold of beer on now, yeah. Yeah. and yeah the the, the ipa the uh, pepperberry ipa is generally my i'm sitting down watching the footy beer so yeah, yeah. Oh, i love it i love how you can sort of frame them 
<laughs> so what's the plan for Sober? Are you going global? Are you? Uh, yeah, it's constant. Have we ditched the food truck yet? Yeah, we well we we sold it to um, Kayak, so the Aboriginal corporation over on Stradbroke Island. Okay. So they were using it over on the island to um, do a lot of functions and stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we on, they they helped us out through uh, Commonwealth Games and stuff, and yep. so then sort of just transitioned it over to them after that. Um, so yeah, the, the the food truck is still going it's just it's been renamed relabeled but yeah. yeah it's still going it's over on the island and which is good they but do it a just lot means of you're foods. not standing in it every afternoon I'm, and, and I'm, pouring sober out of a tap yeah i'm not fucking in it which is great <laughs> um sober's just you know it's one of those things it's it's constant growing pains yeah um you know we'll we'll be we'll be extremely happy when we get to the day where it's just simply not costing us money anymore. Okay. That's <laughs> fair enough. Part of growth is having to keep pouring money in, as I'm sure you're aware. So, so you're going to open a brewery? Eventually. So that's probably our three-year goal. goal at the moment. Um, you know, it's expensive to open a brewery. Yeah, we yeah. want to open it like a more of a a destination as such yeah. rather than just a brewery. Um, you know, an, an Aboriginal health and well-being hub yep. type destination where where sober is just part of that um you know we we, we work quite quite closely with preston campbell foundation and we'd love to be able to help them set up another cafe mm-hmm. um as part of that and and you know we work quite closely with a, a number of other um small aboriginal businesses that we'd love to be able to highlight some of the products and and services that that they have available and well it's indigenous business month uh, this month. Absolutely. We're actually hosting an event here uh, next Thursday, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, cool. Helping out all the, the small Indigenous businesses and yeah. giving them some advice and helping them with their growing pains. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good month to start promoting uh, Sober a lot more. So we'll make sure we get this podcast out real quick so we can uh, make sure we hook that up with Indigenous Business Month, which, uh, which is good. Maybe from a Sober point of view, I, I love it. I love the concept. I love the fact that you can actually give someone the proper taste of beer. Yep without having to do the alcohol piece. Um, I, over the last few years, I've learned that three beers is good for me, and that's all. Um, I used to have 300. That's not good for anyone. Yep. But the thing is, I have a third beer, and I'm, yeah, that's cool. I'm done. Yep. Um, whereas this, I can actually sit there and drink this all night and um, just enjoy the taste. Absolutely. <laughs> and then <laughs> drive home. And Exactly, and be the designated driver. And the thing is, I think there's an opportunity here um, for a lot of pubs and clubs and that sort of stuff to actually offer a good tasting beer yep. to um, to designated drivers. Absolutely. And and that's I've been trying to push that point nonstop for two years now. Yep. And um, unfortunately the Gold Coast has been the slowest place in Australia for wow. for take up. We very much get hit with the no alcohol, what's the point mentality still here. And and a lot of the time that's by venue owners or venue managers rather than it is by you know consumers there's a there's a market for consumers here yeah, they, yeah, they all they all come and buy directly off me at the warehouse yeah because they can't freaking get it in a single you know we've got we're only in we're in a couple of cafes here on on the goldie and that's it that's insane it's ridiculous we're, we're, we're just about to start a new podcast called the gold coast small business podcast and we're, we're doing a lot of stuff with gold coast small business man i'm going to promote the shit out of this to yeah, those nice. guys because like, as you say, you don't want a kid's drink when you go to the bar. 
Absolutely. If you're not drinking, like, I love the idea of it's an adult beverage. Yep. Like, well, it's the there's definitely as, a market for that shit. You know, like, it's 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 my birthday tomorrow, so Lowe's and I are going out tonight. Now, we're going to Kyomi for dinner. We know Kyomi has sober. So yeah. at least I know I'm going to be able to get a non-alcoholic drink to go yeah. with my dinner. But I can guarantee when we go out afterwards, I'm going to fucking struggle. Yeah. You have to take some roadies in the backpack. <laughs> yeah. And I've had to do that a lot of the time. Oh, really? I keep them in an esky in my car or something. And, and instead of drinking in venues, I'm having to go out and... See Who's as that bloke drinking in the back of his car? As if, I'm a, as if I'm a dirty smoker going out for a ciggy, but I'm sneaking out for a fucking sober. Um, having my drink and sculling it and yeah, then the, going back The here. irony of that is unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> but that's, like, that's the unfortunate reality here is. on the coast at the moment. So we need to, we need to change that, mate. Let, yeah, let's definitely. get the word out there and, and change that for sure. Okay, so you're a ninja warrior. This is really aspiring, interesting. Where, sorry, I'll change that. Aspiring yeah, ninja warrior. Absolutely. Who, in the last two seasons on the TV show, has actually injured himself before he got to go on the TV show. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, I've gone into trials injured both times, um, which is shithouse. Um, uh, yeah, when you sit there and you go, man, I, I know I could... Uh, get through those stages <laughs> it's frustrating um but you know third time lucky so yeah but you did mention to me there is a series yeah yeah so, so i've been competing actively competing in the queensland ninja cup and uh aussie ninja games we had a couple of weeks ago um so the queensland cups a queensland based series that we have and then um your results from that you can qualify to go along to the to the aussie ninja, aussie ninja games so yeah uh both myself and my two bo older boys uh, do that, so they they competed in their age groups, and I did it. So it, you know, it's a good thing that we all do together and That's have awesome. a bit of fun. But yeah, we've literally turned my home office um, like I've got this massive fifteen by six meter shed down the back of my property, and it used to be my home office and workspace and all that, and I literally ripped everything out of there and turned it into an indoor ninja park. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Loz has come home and gone. Uh, okay, then we're not working out here anymore, or is she part of that? Nah, she, um, she, as Shook I said, head. she's supportive. <laughs> <laughs> but the she thing just, is, you're doing it with your boys, honey, absolutely. me and the boys, we're, we're, we're doing this together. Yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, it's not like we're, we're down there exercising and having fun. Yeah, so exactly. It's all good. No, that's excellent. Um, well, there's a few ways I like to, um, to finish my podcast, and they're with a, a sort of, Quick fire questions, right? And as I say, I don't ask many questions during this, these um, these discussions. So, who is the person that's most influenced your life? One person. Mm. One person who's most influenced my life. Um, you know, I'd, I'd 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 have to say that it was my my nana Evelyn, mm. um, the one that passed away from lung cancer when I was younger. As I said, you know. Um, I'm definitely fitter and healthier today for never having smoked a cigarette. And um, I guess that probably set me on this journey of health and well-being yeah. um, from a young age. Like I always had that in the back of my mind that I didn't want to see people suffer like I'd had to see her suffer and then suffered myself through watching that. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And what about the most influential person in your career? Which one? <laughs> Which career? It's uh, been that. So many. obviously your wife's the most supportive. <laughs> Absolutely, without a doubt, Lowe's is the most supportive and uh, of anybody that's ever been in my life. Um, most influential person in my career is, you know, probably actually been my mum. To yeah. be honest, you know, like I watched. She went through university as a 
um, older student, mm-hmm. same as I did, and and uh, and I watched her getting on with the life, still being able to have young family, managing to finish a PhD, and going out and forging a career uh, beyond that. So, you know, having witnessed that and seeing, hey, you don't have to just be stuck in That's one massive, isn't one it? work mode all your life. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, if she hadn't gone to uni, I would have never gone to uni. So, yeah. And I think it's a really good lesson, too, is actually to teach kids is actually go and do what you enjoy and are good at. You don't have to be in a box. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do this. And to just enjoy it for what it is then, not mm-hmm. think you have to be stuck in it forever. Yeah, exactly. No, I love it. That's a great idea. Favourite food? Adobo pork. Oh, what's adobo pork? It's a Filipino dish. It's fucking amazing. It's like pork, you know, the pork spare rib with all the big fat on it. That's like slow cooked, so the fat all like renders and melts in your mouth and that's good. (laughs) I love how quick you come out with that. That was awesome. (laughs) What's your favourite song? Uh, Probably Man in the Mirror, Michael Jackson. Good song? Yeah. Favourite place in the world? Ooh. um, Favourite place in the world would have to be... um, well, it's a lake these days, but it's actually actually empty at the moment. Lake Keep It, uh, down on country, so on my country. Um, the lake's empty at the moment, so the country is just beautiful now that it's just the original river that was there. And Yeah, I wish it could stay that way, but uh, New South Wales water and all their might and glory have decided to build the damn wall twice as high while it's empty, so I guess more of my country's going to end up flooded rather than I'm going to get to enjoy it. Wow. So do you take your kids down there to, to see it in its current state? Where, uh, where's Lake Keep It? How do I get there? So it's halfway between Tamworth and Gunnedah. Okay. Yep. And so it's a beautiful part of the world. Beautiful part of the world. Um, I mean, even when the, when the lake's full, it is beautiful. But if you know it like I do... Yeah, it's back to what it originally was. If you know it like I do, you know, seeing the lake full is a bit of a pain in the ass, but... Um, you know, our, our, our old burial grounds are under there. My initiation okay. grounds are under there. So yeah. a lot of sacred sites to us are under that, lake. under that lake. But when it's full, you know, it's one of the best um, Murray Cod and, and Yellowbelly fishing areas oh, wow. in the country. So it's, it's you know, it, it is still beautiful. What's your greatest achievement in life? <laughs> greatest achievement in life, I reckon, is... Um, Enrolling in that Spanish class that... Uh, <laughs> Did you me... finish it? Can you speak for Spanish now? Oh, funniest story. Like, when I was doing my exams, my final oral exams for that, like, because I, I grew up... When I was at high school, I did French, and then I was living over in England, and were, and, and I was back and forth from France a fair bit, so I, I spoke a lot of French. I was doing my final exam for my Spanish exam, and... I thought I was going hell guns. And then <laughs> at the end of it, the, the lecturer sort of just looked at me and smiled and he goes, mate, if this was a French exam, you'd get an A. Oh, really? <laughs> I spoke French the whole way through it. Just went into this <laughs> mode. So You're thinking about your missus, but that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't do too much study, um, unfortunately. So, no, I don't speak much Fre- uh, Spanish, but yeah, my French is still okay. <laughs> so what's next for Clinton Schultz? Uh, well, next big thing beyond sober, obviously that's going to continue to grow because we want the uh, charity side of that to be able to kick off and, and fully do that. And part of that is being able to support healing work to get done different to what gets supported by, I guess, funding bodies and governments. So mm-hmm. a lot, 
healing work that's done from a, a lot more of a sort of cultural or traditional or spiritual, more holistic perspective, particularly for those that can't afford to go to the uh, $1,000 a day holistic clinics, yeah. you know, in like the back of Noosa and Byron and places yeah. like that, you know. Um, you see people who are really struggling go to those places and they tend to get a lot of healing done. If you if you don't have those resources available to you, you know, you end up in... You end up at services that do the best they can with what they've got, but it's yep. fucking far from adequate. <laughs> so we want to be able to sort of do more holistic work and support that because we know, unfortunately, that government doesn't and funding bodies generally don't. So we're hoping to, um, hoping to, you know, early next year, hopefully that'll start. We'll start doing some more uh, of the sober initiative work. Well, mate, if there's anything at all that we can do to help with that, please reach out to us. Because as far Definitely. as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Thanks, bud. Cheers. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels. Search for Podfire on Instagram and Facebook. Or find me at BJ Macker and look out for all our Podfire podcasts. <laughs>